Welcome to the 113th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, recapping the past week and a half of the NBA, and recapping wildcard weekend in the NFL playoffs. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, starting in the NBA, where Patrick went 1-3 and three with his predictions. Moving to the NFL playoffs, Patrick went 6-0 and in predicting playoff uh, wildcard weekend playoff action. And in NCAA basketball, Patrick went 2-2, two and two, bringing his overall total for this week to 9-5, and five, which moves his overall record to 326-236, and 236, a 58% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your predictions? Well, I'll start with the uh, NCAA. Uh, I went 2-2 two and two this week. I was thinking about picking all home teams, and then I was like, no, nah, that never happens. If you want to go 4-0, you got to pick some road teams. And ironically enough, the one week I don't pick four home teams, all four home teams that I predicted, or all four home teams in the games I predicted, won their game. So I uh, guess I should have stuck with that formula. Um, didn't really see any appealing matchups that I that I could have gone for, so it kind of I don't really want, know why I did it. And ironically enough, I was talking with a friend about uh, what I thought about Ohio State against Wisconsin, and I was saying I don't really like Wisconsin overall as a team, and I don't think they're better than Ohio State, uh, but I was saying this is definitely a game that they win, and then everybody thinks they're really good, as evidenced by them jumping into the top 10 of the AP rankings uh, today, which we'll talk about that next Friday when they probably lose a game next week anyway, uh, but... Uh, it, it's just really ironic because I was talking about it and I was like, oh, well, this is the game that they win and they get super overrated because they won, just like last year when they ended up losing by 45 points to Michigan right after. Um, and I was like, so definitely they're going to win this game. And then I, I went out and I picked Ohio State to beat Wisconsin. So, I mean, I guess I should have trusted my Tuesday self over my Thursday self. That would have uh, given me one extra win there. And then uh, Seton Hall tied Marquette 72-72 to and the refs won the game 1-0. to uh, over all of them because uh, the last play of the game, Marquette ran the clock down to get the last shot, and their player, Justin Lewis, clearly elbowed Bryce Aiken in the in the chin, um, and somehow Bryce Aiken got called for the foul. Uh, and that was a shooting foul, and he made one of two free throws, and the game was pretty much over at that point. Seton Hall technically had a chance, but, you know, in, in college basketball, the way the rules are, you can't advance the ball with a timeout, so one and a half seconds to get a shot off is pretty much impossible, um, and they didn't even get one shot off. But, uh, yeah, I should have won that game, too. So, overall, not too uh, dissatisfied with those picks. Um, and then going back to the NBA, uh, I really... Uh, the two games I lost, other than the Bulls game, I felt okay with. I mean, the Heat lost a close game to the 76ers. Uh, the Bucks killed the Warriors in that game that I got right there. Um, and then... Zach Levine got injured on Friday night. Had I known he wasn't going to be in the game against Boston, I would have picked Boston to win. But um, Zach Levine combined with the other injuries that the Bulls had already stacked up, and then Lonzo Ball was actually out after that after that game against the Warriors on Friday too. So I thought they'd have both of them, and they had neither of them. Uh, they still made it close, had an opportunity to win at the end of the game. Didn't, but still would have been nice to know that it was only the DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic show. Uh, I probably would not have picked them. Frankly, I would have picked a different game if I had known that. And I guess that's uh, why I always tend to pick earlier Friday or Saturday games as opposed to picking Sunday games because you never know what happens when all the players are different players playing. Uh, so not that that one was more unfortunate than anything. So uh, I'm okay with those losses. And then in the NFL, we'll get to why, um, but 
it honestly felt pretty easy to predict. Not going to lie. I think most people picked pretty chalk this week. I mean, I think maybe the four or five games are the only games where you could have picked an upset. Um, and, well, and the game that I also actually picked a real upset in, but we'll get to that one later. Uh, but, look, I think the way it works when you have two seeds playing seven seeds in the playoffs is that those games are pretty much always going to be people picking the two seed. Even if the seven seed does end up winning, it's always going to be a surprise just because of the separation between those teams. I mean, if three six matchups in the past have been lopsided most of the time, now you push it to a team that normally would have a bye, and they're, and they're playing a team who's normally not even in the playoffs. So that's a very different situation. So that game's pretty much always going to be in favor of the two. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a while before a seven seed wins a game, honestly. Um, although, you know, the NFC was wide open this year. I think, honestly, if you had, if the 49ers had somehow had a situation where they were the seven seed and the Rams were the two seed, that could have been your spot for an upset with the, with the Niners record against the Rams. Uh, but speaking of the Niners, the only upset I did pick in terms of seeding was, it was the 49ers over the Cowboys because I believed that the Cowboys defense looks pretty average when they don't create turnovers and their offense is super inconsistent. And uh, we'll talk about exactly what happened in that game later, but those things held true. So I won the only game I picked an upset in. Um, if you saw the Cardinals and the Rams on, on uh, in week two or week three, you would probably pick the Cardinals and if you had ignored the Monday night game. But if you saw the Monday night game where the Rams barely had any players in the secondary, you would think that even with Jordan Fuller out and even with, uh, and even with uh, the other safety being out, it's not an issue because they played with them without a secondary in the first place. They've only gotten better since then. Uh, Odell was out in that game too, and Matt Stafford has developed a great rapport with him. So uh, if you saw the Monday night game that the Rams won on the road with those circumstances, you easily thought they were going to win this game at home with uh, the circumstances they have now, even though they're still not great, obviously, having to get Eric Weddle and play Terrell Burgess and Nick Scott, who are normally backups, uh, as opposed to having Taylor Rapp and Jordan Fuller. But overall, I don't think it was that hard to predict. I think if you really paid attention the whole season, or even if you just picked according to the betting lines and gambled on an upset here or there, you would have at least been 4-2 and two this week. Uh, the only people who maybe did worse than that were Raiders fans. All right, well, that uh, wraps up this look back at Patrick's predictions for this past weekend. His predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, as always, on Thursdays at 4thand24.com. Let's now move on to our weekly review of NBA action, although we pushed the review back uh, a few days here, so we're actually looking back at the last past week and a half in the NBA. Patrick, as always, we start with your most impressive teams of the past week or so. Uh, and also, this will be a permanent change as we move to a new format where there's less NFL games and there's no college games going on. So uh, the NBA will be on Mondays and college basketball will be on Fridays from now on. Uh, so next week it'll flip back to just being a week. Uh, but I'll start with the Cleveland Cavs. Uh, also, I would like to note these games are not through Monday night. They're still through Sunday night, just like I would do with Thursday night and Friday night before. Um, the Cavs beat Oklahoma City, San Antonio, Utah, Sacramento, and Portland. Their only loss was Clay's return uh, for Golden State, uh, obviously, I could get a lot into. I, I could get into Clay's return a lot, but I mean, he he was somewhat inefficient, but still got his points in, uh, got his minutes in. If you've been following throughout the week, the Warriors have been you, you know giving him a little bit of load management as he works back from his injury, he hasn't played back to backs, uh, all of that kind of all that kind of stuff. But uh, moving on from that little Golden State tangent, the Cavs have been really good all season. 
Uh, but this team still doesn't feel like a team that should be going five and one over uh, over every week. I think it's still somewhat surprising to me. I, I, I firmly believe that this team is good when you're starting Evan Mobley, Laurie Markkinen, and also Jared Allen. It's just too big for most teams to deal with. They have two seven-footers and then a center who's not even seven feet tall, who's probably the best rim protector in the league, you could argue, with Jared Allen. So uh, th- their starting lineup is really, really good. Even without Colin Sexton, their guards are still great. Uh, Isaac Okoro and Darius Garland. And then, you know, they have a great veteran leadership with Kevin Love coming off the bench too, and he's really accepted that role and he's flourished in it so far. Uh, so overall, the Cavs have a lot going for them, and uh, I, I, but I still have to say 5-1 and one is still really impressive coming out of this team no matter who they're playing. And moving on from that, let's go to the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, they beat Orlando this week. They beat Chicago. They beat Houston. They lost to New York. But what's most important about their week is that the Mavericks were able to beat the Memphis Grizzlies, ending their 11-game win streak, which we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, but look, the Mavericks have played really, really well with Luka Doncic this season. If you look at their record, I believe now after this week, it's 18 or 19 and 10 or 18 and 11, something like that, with him on the floor. And without him, it's not great. It's hovering around 500, maybe a little bit under, but the the fact of the matter is, if he ends up playing and only missing the 15 or 16 games that he did earlier, and maybe a few more, and he only misses 20 or so games, um, and you're looking at them going, let's say, we'll, we'll throw out 10 and 12 in 22 missed games, if you take the rest of the 60 games of the season and continue them on the pace that they have, they're going to end up as a 45-50 win team, which is going to be more than enough to make the playoffs, and probably enough to maybe even get home court for, for a round or two. Um, and I think that's going to be really important for the Mavericks. I mean, we've seen Dallas be a very tough place to play in on the road in the in the postseason in the past. Uh, but look, home court's important for anybody. And also, it's just a good sign that the Mavericks are playing well. And when you also look at the West as a whole, there aren't really many teams that are streaking and playing well every single week. And a lot of the top contenders haven't been playing that well either when you look at the Lakers. I mean, the top four teams in the West are very, very easily the Jazz, the Grizzlies, the Warriors, and the Suns. But I could definitely see the Mavericks jumping over maybe Utah. Utah hasn't been playing well recently. We'll get to that. Maybe they could jump over uh, Memphis if John Morant goes down again and they can't sustain that injury. Um, There are a lot of possibilities for the Mavericks. I definitely think they're in a good position. They're definitely going to be able to avoid the play and if they keep playing the way they're playing right now. Uh, And moving on from that, the Boston Celtics are 4-1, and one. They went 4-1 and one this week. They beat Indiana twice, they beat Chicago, they beat New York, and they lost to Philly, but I, I think that's a very excusable loss. I mean, that's a pretty good team that they were playing. Uh, Philadelphia's been playing really well recently, too. They could have been on this list. Uh, they're not, but they could have been. Um, and overall, I mean, the Celtics have had their, their struggles this year, definitely, uh, as a whole, but recently they've been playing better. I think they've been getting some more continuity as guys have been injured less and not dealing with COVID anymore that much. So uh, overall, I like the flow that the Celtics have got into. They're reaching the potential that we've thought they've had for a while, but they've never really been able to quite capture. Um, So they're trending up. They're playing really well. Uh, They're winning games that, honestly, I wouldn't expect them to win. The Chicago one is probably the biggest one of that. Um, And, you know, the the next game is always going to be a big rivalry game for them. And uh, both teams are going to care a lot about that one uh, as any New York-Boston game goes. So uh, overall, that's pretty good for them, too. So uh, I'm liking the way the Celtics are playing recently, and maybe they can keep it up and 
uh, keep up some status in the in the playoff race there in the East. Uh, moving on from that, the Grizzlies went four and one this week. They beat Minnesota, they beat Golden State, and they beat both LA teams. I talked about their loss to Dallas, but I, even though the win streak is over, eleven games in a row—that's a franchise record for the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, not necessarily the most successful franchise all time, but one that's been around for long enough that if you're breaking franchise records for them, you're doing something very, very, very right. Um, and and I think there you need to look no further than John Morant. I mean, he is really the engine that's keeping this team going. You know, we talked about them playing okay when he's gone out in the past and playing well, playing well enough to keep up a decent spot in the West. But when he is in the game... They're really one of the top teams in the West. They are a top four team in the West with John Morant on the court. And it's crazy to think that this franchise that was really in a bad place, a bad enough place to pick next to the Pelicans, who picked Zion Williamson with the number one overall pick a few years ago, this team was bad enough to be the number two pick just three years ago. And now all of a sudden, here they are. They made the playoffs last year. They, I mean, that ascent was quick enough. But now they made some trades in the offseason. They got Steven Adams. They've continued to dra- to develop new talent uh, like Desmond Bain and Zaire Williams. Uh, and, and that alongside John Morant. And even now with Dylan Brooks being out on this win streak, they're still winning even without a full complement of their players that they want. Uh, and Memphis can really only, I mean, it's hard to say that they can get better from an 11-game win streak, but I really think their trajectory has them continuing on the path that they've been on recently. And I could definitely see Memphis being one of those teams that edges out a team like Dallas and a team like the Lakers who were favored preseason to get one of the top uh one of the top four seeds, but maybe not anymore when you're talking about um when you're talking about how they're how the Grizzlies are playing right now. Okay, well let's turn to the flip side of that. Most disappointing teams in the last week or so. Starting with the Atlanta Hawks, the only team that managed to not win a single game in the last week and a half. 0-5 they went this week, losing to New York. Uh, losing to Miami twice, then losing to both L.A. teams. Uh, obviously, no wins this week. Look, the Hawks have just been, I mean, relative to expectations, probably the lowest team in the league, I would argue. Maybe maybe the most underachieving beside the Lakers or the Clippers, I would say. Um, although, I would tell you that before the season, I said the Clippers were going to be the team to forfeit a playoff spot in favor of one of the unlikely teams like Minnesota, which might even happen, uh, but get it, I'll get off that point for a second. But look, the Hawks have just been really, 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 really bad. I think there's no other way to put it. Um, there's not, I, I don't really see the the solution, honestly. I think they're just not playing well. The pieces that they have aren't working, and they're already in sell mode because they traded Cam Reddish to the Knicks. And I don't know exactly what Kevin Knox might do for that franchise, but uh, it, it's it's just not, it, they're not in a good place right now, and I don't exactly know how they're going to fix it. Moving on from the Hawks, the Spurs, obviously not as high expectations that the Hawks have, but uh, they went 1-5 this week. They lost to Cleveland, Houston, New York, Brooklyn, and Philadelphia. A hard East Coast road trip, though, I will I will add for the Spurs. Um, and they also beat the, but they beat the Clippers this week to, uh, I guess, save their week from being the worst in the league. Uh, but... The Spurs, you know, I, I, I'm really disappointed, honestly, just because of the fact that I don't want to see Greg Popovich go out with such a terrible team, um, and I don't really think it's exactly his fault. It's just that they have a young team. They had, I mean, if you look at their core, they had a core, a winning core that was all getting old at the exact same time, and they all pretty much retired at the same time when you look at 
Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili and Tim Parker, or Tony Parker. Sorry, I don't know why I said Tim Parker. Um, but look, you look at all those guys at once. I mean, you can even talk about LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan after who both left. Kawhi Leonard left from that core. Um, and really, Aldridge and DeRozan were after a lot of those guys had already left and some of them had retired. But really, that was their core. And this team just, they lost them all. I mean, there's no one left. They, they went into sell mode. They wanted to get a young team. I think he's going to help them lay the foundation for the future, and they'll be better eventually. Um, but you know, it's just sad to see him go out on such a uh, on probably a bad note. And if he if he is going to retire after the season, which I feel like they've had the conversations about this already, and I feel like it's not necessarily set in stone like Big Ben is, but um, almost getting to that level. Uh, but moving on from that, let's talk about the teams that are a lot better than the Spurs talent wise, but not performing much better. Uh, the Jazz. Went 1-4 and four this week. I don't know if we've ever had the Jazz on the most disappointing teams list. I, I think it's definitely not. I don't think that's happened. I think, I mean, last year they only lost like 12 or 15 games anyway, so it's pretty hard to get on there. Uh, they they also, I think, had two losses at home the entire year. So, again, pretty, pretty hard for them to be on that list. Uh, but here they are now, and this season it hasn't turned out the way that they wanted to. I thought they'd be in contention for... Uh, the number one seed, the number two seed, maybe with teams like the Suns, uh, teams like the Warriors, uh, well, before the season, teams like the Lakers, but um, not playing so well recently. They're still in a good position in terms of the playoffs. They're not really in any danger of uh, moving to the play-in or anything like that, but a one-in-four week with losses to Cleveland, Detroit, Indiana, Toronto. They beat Denver, but I mean, you look at some of those losses, it's not like they were playing a hard schedule either. I mean, you expect the Spurs to lose to to East Coast playoff teams like Brooklyn and Philly and Cleveland. You don't expect the Jazz to lose to Detroit and Indiana, and frankly, not even Toronto, regardless of how well Fred Van Vliet is playing right now. Uh, just overall, a really bad week for the Jazz. But moving on to a, a team that maybe I probably should have put as worse the Lakers went 1-3 and three this week. They lost to Denver, Sacramento, and Memphis. Their only win was over the Atlanta Hawks, where something had to give because one of those teams had to go not winless uh, for this week. Look, the Lakers, I mean, the Lakers might set a record for being on this list the most times. I almost feel like I shouldn't be disappointed with them going 1-3 and three at this point because it feels like that's just almost what they are. I mean, I think it's getting to the point where they're just not a well-orchestrated team. They're not well put together, and they just don't play well. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, and really, I'm not disappointed in anybody anybody in particular other than Russell Westbrook. Um, LeBron is doing all he can for that team, but I don't really see— I mean, a lot of people want to put the blame on Russ, but I don't really see anybody other than LeBron who's doing his job, maybe except for Malik Monk and Carmelo Anthony being somewhat reliable as shooters, but— that's not enough to be the team that the Lakers want to be. And, uh, of course, Anthony Davis is still out with an injury. But, I mean, if the Lakers didn't think about Anthony Davis being in injury trouble before the season happened, then they are pretty bad at planning out a season because I don't think there's ever been a season where he hasn't been injured multiple times, if not just out for a very, very long period of time. So you got to plan ahead for that. you got to have a team that can win without AD because he's – out a lot, uh, and they don't have that team right now. LeBron is doing all he can, and the rest of the team is just not. I mean, look, he's averaging 30 points per game in his 19th season. He might lead the league in scoring, um, which is something that, if you look at the top scorers right now, it's LeBron and Kevin Durant, which was all they were also the top scorers in, I believe, 2008. So when you look at who who've been dominant in the league, look no further than those two. But I mean, 
other than LeBron, there's not much going on with the Lakers. Yeah, maybe we need a new category for unfortunately not too surprisingly disappointing uh, for the Lakers. Well, maybe I was about to say that would be only the Lakers. And yeah, the Clippers haven't made it on this list, but I think it's just because every single week they find like one or two wins and they're always yeah. like two just, and three. They're one and three. They're on the bubble. They're two and three. They're one and three. If you get two wins when every other team is, has one win and I have plenty of teams to choose from, I'm not going to go too crazy about it, but... Uh, they have not been good all season, yeah. I think, and also they're a little more injured than the Lakers are too. So they right, have their well, own let's, problems. Let's move on to the player of the last week or ten days this this week. Well, I'm going a little bit off the radar. Dejounte Murray for the San Antonio Spurs has been, I mean, really good all season. This week was finally the week where he flashed a lot more scoring, and I think I I felt comfortable putting him on this list. Uh, but I, I've been noticing him the whole season. Uh, 25 points, nine assists, eight. 8.2 rebounds and 2.2 steals per game, almost averaging a 25-point triple-double, just very close to that. Uh, look, if you're looking for anything about the Spurs, he's the next, it looks like he's the next star for them. Uh, he's really rising up uh, for them. And if you look at the whole season, he's averaging 19, 8, and 9 in terms of 19 points, 8.3 rebounds, and 8.9 assists. That should be, those should be all-star level numbers. I mean, I, I think if you're almost averaging, if you're, if you're one away, if you're one in pretty much every stat category away from averaging a 20-point triple-double, you definitely should be in the All-Star game. And I think the West is tough. There's a lot of talent in the West. I mean, you look at teams like the Lakers who have somebody who, I mean, LeBron is is the easiest All-Star pick there is. Uh, but it, it's still, I still think he should be representing the West, at least to also get some of the Spurs in the West to, uh, to, to give them some representation, right, I think. And also just when you look at it, that's pretty good for the future that the Spurs at least have someone to believe in uh, heading forward. Okay, well, that uh, finishes our look back at the last week or so of NBA action. Let's turn our attention to the NFL with a look back at the wild card weekend playoff action. Let's start with the Raiders and the Bengals. The Bengals beat the Raiders 26-19 to for their first playoff win since 1991. Let that sink in. That's, that's a long time. Um, that's my entire lifetime plus a lot of change, honestly. Uh, so look, we know that the Bengals have been a team that have made the playoffs at a decent rate, uh, especially in a tough division with Andy Dalton, but they never quite got to the point where they were good enough to win a playoff game. And here they are in Joe Burrow's second year coming off an ACL tear and just that quickly, they're already in the playoffs and they've already won a playoff game. Contrast that with Derek Carr, who, I mean, look, Derek Carr is a great, great, great quarterback, but the Raiders have made the playoffs twice. He's I, I mentioned it last time. He's made 127 starts before this game, and now he still hasn't won a playoff game, only one appearance. So uh, it's crazy to see what Joe Burrow's doing so early in his career. And look no further than the fact that they finally, that a team finally decided, you know what? If we're gonna give our quarterback, if, if we're gonna give our quarterback the best situation, we're gonna need him to be comfortable. Joe Burrow maybe did, you know, he, he's being modest about what he said, but he wanted Jamar Chase on his team. He wanted the Bengals to use that pick on a wide receiver. Everybody in the whole world said that they should be picking an O lineman in that pick, and he said, you know what? I'll take five or six extra sacks this year so that I can play with my with my guy, Jamar Chase. And it paid off because Jamar Chase obviously set the league on fire the whole year. And in this game, nine receptions, 116 yards, also had three rushes for 23 yards. 
And look, he's just he's Joe Burrow's most trusted target. Um, he's been ridiculous all season. He's been amazing. He should be Offensive Rookie of the Year. And overall, it, it definitely paid off that the Bengals picked um, Jamar Chase with that draft pick. I think even with an extra O-lineman, they still wouldn't have dynamic playmaking quite to the level that Chase gives you, especially with the fact that he makes T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd go against players that really, it makes them look better is what I'm trying to say here. I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't number two corners in the league who can't guard Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, but it makes it a lot easier for those two when they don't have to be guarded by, you know, followed around if they were playing the Rams per se by Jalen Ramsey the whole game when Jamar Chase is taking up that responsibility instead. It makes it a lot easier on everybody. Um, and, and, you know, Joe Burrow even got C.J. Uzama involved in this game. Had six, He had six receptions for 64 yards and a touchdown on six targets. So, I mean, the ball was spra- was being thrown everywhere. The Bengals controlled this game. They scored on the first four drives of the game. Uh, the only drive they didn't score on in the first half was when they kneeled down. And then all they really needed to do was uh, just take off the clock for the rest of the game. And obviously, they did have a game-ending interception because Derek Carr was able to get the Raiders down uh, into scoring position. But on fourth down and goal, just didn't have quite enough to power them over the edge. Although, I will say, obviously, there were some questionable referee calls in this game, but I don't really know. I, I don't really know what to say about them. I don't think they honestly impacted the game too much when you looked at the flow. If anything, I think the Bengals could have won this game by more points if they had taken the touchdown thrown to Boyd off, because I think the Bengals would have been would have kept their foot on the gas a lot more in the second half. So uh, I think overall, it's just not that I don't think you can make too many points about it. So uh, Bengals had a good win. They played well. Uh, this was probably, I mean, somehow this was one of the more entertaining games this weekend, but it wasn't even that close, I would argue. So uh, not not the greatest weekend, but congrats to the Bengals on getting that win. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. Actually, a, a pretty entertaining game comparatively, speaking of which, Patriots-Bills. Uh, the I mean, was it really the Patriots and the Bills, or were the Bills playing against a bunch of ghosts? Because I mean, nothing showed up on the Patriots end of the uh, on the Patriots end of the field. Forty-seven to seventeen, the Bills won. Uh, I mean, Josh Allen pulled what I call a C.J. Stroud now, which is throwing more touchdown passes than incompletions. Um, Twenty-one of twenty-five. 308 touch yards. Oh my God, if he threw 308 touchdowns, that'd be a really good game. Uh, and five touchdowns on the game compared to Mac Jones, who was 24 of 38, 232 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. And also the Patriots had no offense in the entire first half. So the two touchdowns he threw were in the second half when the Bills were really just playing soft coverage and kind of letting the game just end because they were up 27 to three at the half, and it wasn't just the fact that, uh, it wasn't just the Bills' uh, offense, I mean, and it wasn't just the passing game, Devin Singletary had 16 carries for 81 yards and two touchdowns, uh, and the defense came up with a crucial pick on the first possession, on their first possession of the game, I should say, um, and that, that, that interception, instead of having seven to nothing, if Mac Jones had thrown that ball perfectly, uh, and I believe it was Jacoby Myers who was the intended receiver, could have caught that for a touchdown, and it would have been seven to seven, instead, uh, Micah Hyde got an amazing pick on that play. Uh, it, it was a touchback, and then the, the Bills marched right down the field and scored again and opened up their 14 to nothing lead. And I think just ever since that point, the, the Patriots just had nothing going for them. I think they had no chance back into that game. It, it felt over 
as soon as they punted, I think, on the next possession. And then the Bills were, I think they had a 20-yard play that Josh Allen made where he threw it, where he made a really nice throw over a few defenders' heads. And as soon as they were into the the Patriots' territory on the third drive, I think I looked at you and I said, game over. And and it was obvious that it was going to go 21 nothing, and that the Patriots did not have what it takes to come back from 21 nothing. We know they're not built to play from behind. It, it showed in this game. Yeah, and... Uh... Credit to you. You pointed out that the cold weather really wasn't the issue for Josh Allen's throwing. It was the it was wind. The wind. It was the wind. Wind was terrible. Uh, so you were right, right about that when we previewed this game, and you failed to mention his rushing stats, uh, which you also said he could be uh, a big difference. Right, he did have six down. carries for 66 yards, and also, I mean, they, 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 they threw in some quarterback powers on third and yeah. one at the beginning yeah. of the game, and it was really, really important, and it, it really set the tone for the whole game, and I think the Patriots were just kind of constantly on the back foot. I really think they didn't have much of an answer. Um, I think the only thing that they might have had an answer for was if Ryan Fitzpatrick got out of the crowd where he was standing shirtless and got onto the field. Maybe then they could have won the game, but uh, unfortunately they were playing Josh Allen and not Ryan Fitzpatrick this weekend. Yeah, not a very competitive game. Speaking of which, let's move over to the Buccaneers-Eagles. You know, speaking of uncompetitive, uh, 31 to nothing lead the Bucs had uh, at the end of the third quarter. Uh, the Eagles ended up getting 15 points in the fourth quarter. Made it somewhat interesting. There was a miracle scenario at some point at the end of the game. Um, I would still, I would still criticize honestly the fact that the pa- that I almost said the Patriots because Tom Brady Patriots immediately we were just talking about the Patriots, but the Buccaneers had the ball up sixteen and they were on the twenty yard line and they decided to go for it on fourth and one. I get the whole imposing your will thing, but with the minute left, if you kick a field goal, the game is over. You, they they almost gave the Eagles the chance to full to pull something so Philadelphia that the whole world probably would have ended because of it, because it would have been that much of a miracle. But we've seen crazier things. I mean, the Minnesota miracle was probably one of the craziest sports plays I've ever seen. Something crazy like that could have happened. Um, Maybe not because of the passing game of the Eagles, but look, I will say, I almost, it was really close earlier today, well, before, before the game tonight, Jalen Hurts was easily the worst quarterback that played this weekend. Um, we'll get to who overtook him for that uh, for that prestigious award. But look, Jalen Hurts had Devontae Smith for maybe the only play where the Eagles could have had a sliver of a chance to get back in the game. They were down 17 to nothing with 30 seconds left. Devontae Smith dropped <laughs> dropped a corner on a double move, and Jalen Hurts just did not see it, and he threw it too late, and it got picked off. And I think that was really where the game, that was the last chance the Eagles had. If they could have made it 17 to seven going into the half. Maybe they could have carried some momentum, gotten the ball back, uh, maybe made it 17 to 10 with another field goal, a nice drive at, at the beginning of the half, and all of a sudden you're looking at a little bit of a different game. But that play didn't happen. He threw a pick instead. The Buccaneers took all the momentum into the second half. They scored nothing in the third quarter. The Buccaneers added on more points in the third quarter, and this game was just over. And I think also the game was kind of over before it started, and really it was probably over as soon as we saw the injury report that. Levante David was back, Gio Bernard was back, uh, Shaq Barrett was back, Jason Pierre-Paul was also back. I mean, that the, the Buccaneers finally have the championship-winning defense. I mean, they don't exactly have the corners still, but they're getting about as close as you can ask to getting the exact same roster that won them the championship. Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, two versus seven matchup really could skews things in this new format. Uh, let's move to a game that uh, was way more exciting. Uh, 49ers-Cowboys. Well, I would argue that uh, maybe if the 49ers had a different quarterback, if maybe if they had Tom Brady, this game probably could have been 48 to nothing instead because Jimmy Garoppolo did his normal I'm going to gift the other team some points here uh, routine. But 
Look, the 49ers, I really thought that if they could manage to not turn the ball over, they could dominate the game throughout. I really didn't think that the Cowboys had a great rushing defense. I didn't think they had much to stop the, the 49ers if they just tried to run the ball and kind of impose their will on, on the on the Cowboys. And I think I was right. Um <laughs> The first quarter was the perfect was the perfect uh, synopsis of that. The 49ers went down the field and scored a touchdown in four minutes. Um, pretty a really long drive, by the way. It was a lot of runs too. I mean, if they hadn't, they could have scored a lot slower. But the Cowboys weren't just getting weren't just giving up three or four yard runs. They were giving eight and nine yard runs. So I mean, they couldn't even the, the Niners couldn't slow down even if they wanted to. Um, and then they also kicked another field goal to go up ten to nothing. Then they kicked another field goal to go up 13 to nothing, and all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, Dallas has a good enough offense that the 49ers can't keep settling for field goals or they're going to leave Dallas in this game. They did leave them in the game. Um, the, the, the Cowboys responded with a four-minute touchdown drive of their own uh, where Amari Cooper caught a touchdown pass from Dak Prescott uh, to make it 13-7, to and that's when I really thought, wow, the 49ers have completely dominated this game. They've given up one drive on offense— uh, or on defense, and they've gotten down the field three times successfully, and yet they're only up by less than a touchdown. And the and the Cowboys had a chance to maybe close it out and come back, and they also didn't get the ball first. So it was looking a little bit sketchy for a second, I'll say. Uh, but the 49ers drove down the field again, again failed to get a touchdown out of it, but they got another field goal. They went up 16-7 to to start or to end the first half. Uh, and then Debo Samuel was scored on a 26-yard run to make it 23-7. But I will add, that run was the first play after Dak Prescott threw an interception. So I had said that the Niners needed to win the turnover battle, and frankly, Jimmy Garoppolo needed to not throw an interception. Um, I'll get to what happened with the interception thing later. But that Dak interception pretty much ended the game, even though there were still, even though it was still a 16-point game with five minutes and 50 seconds left, and the, and the Cowboys ended up getting a few chances to come back. I think without that interception, that that could have been, I mean, maybe if they had gotten down the field a little bit, you might have had a different situation. But I, I think one of the one of the things that you have to look at is that that, that interception drive was a microcosm of the game uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. They had a 14-yard play, a 14-yard pass play on second down, and then they had a block in the back, and then they had a 13-yard loss on a sack. And then the interception was thrown on second and 28. I think that's what happened to them the whole game. Every single time they had something going, penalties immediately right after that. Um, so it, that's what plagued them the whole game. And then the Niners scored on one play right after that. Uh, Dallas got down and got a field goal, but it, it felt like it was hopeless for them because there wasn't enough time in the game, really. I mean, the the, the fourth quarter had 12 minutes left, and the Cowboys had just cut it to 23-10. to 10. Gave the ball to San Francisco. You thought, okay, San Francisco just runs and they run the clock out. That's when Jimmy Garoppolo almost gave the game back to Dallas. He threw an interception. Dallas got momentum. The crowd was back in the game. Dallas scored a touchdown, and they had the game within one possession again. Somehow, miraculously, it was there for the, it was there for the taking for them. And then the 49ers punted on the possession after, and the Cowboys actually had a chance, one drive, to go up, take the lead with three minutes left in the game and they just weren't able to do it. They turned it over on downs uh, and really it was not even close. I mean, they had fourth and 11 and it was an incomplete pass. The 49ers barely, uh, they jumped on, they didn't get set on a quarterback sneak that would have sealed the game. And they almost gave the Cowboys another chance to come back, 
But uh, as we know, the infamous play now, Dak Prescott ran it straight up the middle with 14 seconds left. Ref couldn't get there to spot the ball, and the game ended just like that. Um, And I think when you look at this game, this game was up and down just like the Cowboys season. Um, It's hard to say that a team had an up and down season with the record that the Cowboys did because they did end 12 and 5. But the reality is, they beat up on the NFC East. They were 6-0 and against the NFC East. They were 6-5 and when they played out of their division. And in the playoffs, you're going to play teams that are a lot better than teams in the NFC East. And when I say a lot, I mean like a lot, a lot. Look at what the Buccaneers did to the Eagles. That's what the NFC looks like. The NFC East looks like in comparison to the rest of the NFL. And then you have the Cowboys, who obviously were a top team in the NFC East, But it still doesn't matter because the way the Niners have been playing at the end of the year, the Niners were just a better team. I was honestly surprised that they were the underdogs, frankly. Um, But I had the confidence in them to pick them, and I think I I had it evaluated right. And if Jimmy Garoppolo didn't throw an interception, they would have really dominated this game. Uh, But I think the microcosm of the Cowboys' season, even more than just that, that kind of this game, was if you look at the stretch where... They beat the Patriots in overtime after scoring 44 points, 36 points, and 41 points. So you think that they're really good. Their offense is amazing. They haven't lost. They were 5-1 at the time. Then they went on the road and beat the Vikings on Sunday Night Football with their backup quarterback, Cooper Rush. And you really started to think, wow, they're good enough to beat a good team on the road with their backup quarterback. The Cowboys might be going to the Super Bowl. And immediately right after that, the Broncos come in and beat them and dominate them at home. And then, you know, the next week they go out and they beat the Falcons by 40. But then the week after that, they only score nine points against the Chiefs. And I think when you look at those games, that's what the Cowboys' entire season was. As soon as you thought that they were good, they immediately just turned around and looked terrible. And that again happened this weekend. As soon as they scored 50 on the Eagles, they turned around and looked like they were completely out of sync against the Niners' defense. And they were, and they lost because of it. I don't know what you say. I don't know what there is to say about the Cowboys. They can't blow it up and restart. They're in a very good place, but they're also in a very terrible place because I feel like they just will never make it over the hump. It might just be one of those really talented teams that can't put it together. We will find out in subsequent years. Their year's over. Let's move to the Steelers and Chiefs in another 2-7 matchup. Well, uh, the Steelers' year is over and Big Ben's career is over um, as the Steelers took a 7-0 lead on the Chiefs. Probably, honestly, the most surprising thing in this weekend was that the end score for the first quarter of this game was 0-0. Zero to zero. That was something that I was amazingly surprised with. I mean, and also there were seven possessions in the first quarter. And then Patrick Mahomes threw a pick six, and you thought, wait a minute. This is like the Chiefs that were there in like week one or week four or whatever when they got killed by the Titans on the road. That's what it looked like for a second. They threw the pick six to TJ Watt. The, the Steelers were up 7 to nothing. And right after that, Patrick Mahomes just flipped a switch, and he just ended the game immediately. The next drive, he came out, and I was thinking, okay, he's a little bit rattled, maybe. I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes, so you still trust him, but, you know, it doesn't look that great after that interception, and the Steelers' defense had been doing a good job. And then when you look at the end stat of the game, 30 of 39, 404 yards, five touchdowns, only the one interception, and also even had 29 running yards, you'd say... Oh, he was great the whole game. I mean, he looked terrible for a quarter and a half. And then, as I said, like that, flipped the switch, game was pretty much over. I mean, the Chiefs did what the Chiefs do, just like they did against the Texans when they were losing 24 to nothing. Three quick touchdowns to end the half. Um, they had a, they had a five-minute touchdown drive, then the Steelers punted, then they scored in three minutes. And then when, what really ended the game is after it was already 14 to 7, the 
Chiefs got the ball and they scored in 39 seconds on six plays to go up 21 to seven at the half. And then you looked up and you saw Chiefs to receive second half kickoff. And that's when you just said, is this game even worth watching? We know they're going to score. And then they did. They scored another touchdown and then the Steelers fumbled again and then they scored another touchdown. So, I mean, the game was over. It was, it was 35 to seven. And I think there's nothing else that you can say. I mean, look, I talked about Big Ben's career before, uh, but there's nothing more you can say about the Steelers. I mean, this year, even with Juju Smith-Schuster coming back, even with the Chiefs having some injuries of their own, not having Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the Chiefs were just way, way, way too good in the same way that the Buccaneers were way, way, way too good to play the Eagles. Maybe this year is just a little too top-heavy for this play- for this playoff format to look good. I would give Baltimore a much better chance of beating the Chiefs. And by the way, Baltimore did beat the Chiefs earlier in the year. Uh, And, you know, the AFC was actually probably deep enough that this game could have been a lot closer. I would argue the Chargers could have made it closer. I mean, the Chargers and Baltimore both beat the Chiefs this year. So, or actually the Chargers took them to overtime. I don't know if they beat them earlier in the year. But I think there were two teams that were better than the Steelers that got left out of the playoffs. But hey, it's all about who makes it. And overall, the Chiefs killed the team that did. Okay, and the final game of the weekend, Rams-Cardinals. I talked about Jalen Hurts being only the second worst quarterback of the week. Let's talk about the worst. Uh, Everybody thought that Matthew Stafford might be in some trouble with the way he's played recently. Uh, Kyler Murray was the one in trouble. Uh, The Rams defense had figured him out on on Monday Night Football before, uh, and really, I think that carried over to this game. They used the exact same formula. They got to him. They sacked him. Uh, When it was 14 to nothing, uh, they should have sacked him again for a safety, but instead, Kyler Murray chose to pull a, I don't know if you want to call it a Matt Stafford or a Carson Wentz. They both did it this year. Uh, while spinning around in the end zone, he decided to throw the ball up. Uh, and David Long Jr. picked it up pretty much almost off the ground, uh, three yards away from the end zone, and walked into the end zone. Probably took maybe two or three steps to go into the end zone to go up 21 to nothing. That was the halftime lead for the Rams. Then the Rams got the ball back, scored in five minutes. It was 28 to nothing and the game was over. Uh, the end score was 34 to 11. Um, and and James Conner got the rushing touchdown. But Kyler Murray's stats in this game, 19 of 34, 137 yards, two interceptions. And before the half, he was six for 16 for 22 yards and two interceptions. He played terrible in this game. He was definitely rattled with his nerves. And by the way, if you look at all the first-time quarterbacks in the playoffs this year, the only one that looked like he was comfortable was Joe Burrow. And I, and I want to go back to that just for one second. Joe Burrow's really proving that he was worth the number one pick. And not only was that LSU team generational, but all the players that came from that team were generational when you look at Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, etc., etc. Um, that team, the Bengals deserve their credit. Joe Burrow deserves his credit. And Kyler Murray just looked like, I mean, Joe Burrow was the only one who didn't look like he was in his first playoff game. Frankly, Dak Prescott looked like he was in his first playoff game if you looked at the way that he played and he was out of sync. Um, Mac Jones definitely looked like it. Derek Carr looked like it. Jalen Hurts looked like it. Kyler Murray looked the worst of all of them. And it, I don't even think it was close. Uh, and the Rams defense was just suffocating. The run game got going early. Uh, and Stafford only had to throw 17 passes and he completed 13 of those for 202 yards and two touchdowns. And that was just enough. The Rams didn't turn the ball over, and that's really all they need to do. I mean, their formula for the entire playoffs is going to be establish the run, make Stafford be more of a game manager, play good defense, get a few turnovers. They'll beat any team in the entire NFL if they are able to follow that formula. The only thing is 
the Rams have not been able to consistently get that formula. They've turned the ball over a ton, especially at the end of the year. They've not been able to hold some of the teams down on defense. They haven't been able to create turnovers. Look at the Packers games the last few years. I think maybe the Packers are the worst matchup for the Rams, but I even think even in those games, the Rams have been able to get close as soon as their defense manages to get a few stops. The Rams truly can be a Super Bowl winning team if they can play like this every single game. The issue is as we get into the playoffs and you get further, it's different week to week and there's no guarantee that they'll be able to do that. And there's an even bigger problem because likely their new their next two opponents, I mean, no matter who the opponents are out of any of the three teams remaining, you have a team they haven't beaten in three years and you have Tom Brady and then you have Aaron Rodgers in an MVP season. Any of those teams are going to be hard to beat and really, really hard to beat, especially for the Rams. Although the Rams do have, they are 2-0 against the Buccaneers, by far the best record they have against any of the three teams remaining in the NFC. Uh, but I really think if the Rams can continue to play like this, they'll be they they will win the Super Bowl. But I don't think they're going to continue it. That's that's my catch to that <laughs> to that situation. Okay, well that wraps up our look back at NFL uh, Wild Card Weekend playoff action. It also wraps this edition of the Fourth and Twenty Four podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, January twenty first, where we will have our weekly in depth analysis of college basketball action and an in-depth preview of the NFL Divisional Round playoff games. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, published on Thursday, and his latest NCAA basketball tournament bracket, which was posted on Saturday, and his next bracket, which will be posted tomorrow. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.